you know, moms just really model and exemplify the word faithfulness, don't they? Reliability. I mean, the son gets up, so does mom. You just bank on the fact that moms are going to be there. And, you know, moms, uh, their character trait of faithfulness is very similar to the one we find in Joseph. A very faithful, reliable kind of person. Let's find out where we left, where we left last, where we last left Joseph. That's hard to say three times fast, isn't it? Can we? Let's uh, take our Bibles, Genesis 39, and let's see exactly um, where Joseph was and where we last left him. And let's talk a bit today about this whole idea of faithfulness and reliability. And uh, we're going to really have a good time in our scriptures today, like we do every week. And we're going to learn some neat things from the life of Joseph about our great God. Now, notice the chart up here behind me for a minute, if you would. This will kind of walk us to where we, uh, where Joseph is right now, okay? Uh, Joseph obviously started off as a boy, just in that uh, area of uh, being trusted with a vision and reporting the truth. And we're going to watch his life progress to where God... Uh, Entrusted him with a with a prison. We'll go to the next slide if we can. There it is. Um, notice this little progression here. Joseph at seventeen learned to just simply have a, be a man of integrity, report the truth as he moved on. Um, he obviously uh, was sold to slavery, and then he was sold to Egypt. And at seventeen or eighteen, he was overseeing the estate of a military man named Potiphar. He did that for probably ten, eleven years, and in that time frame, that ten, eleven. A year time frame, he was very faithful to remain under the testing of being in a foreign country, under a foreign ruler, with a foreign boss. Everything was different. It was a very trying time for Joseph. And to, to cap it all off, at about year 11, probably about the age of 27 or 28, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. And we learn from that that resisting temptation is one of the things that's, that's called upon of God's people. So notice Joseph's trek here to a trusted life, would you? It starts off with just having integrity. And then it moves to being able to embrace the test that, that for some reason come our way. But at some point, then resisting temptation. That's the kind of the nature of the process that most of us are in. And that's where we find Joseph now in prison, falsely accused. And if I were in Joseph's shoes, I would probably feel very forsaken and forgotten. I mean, it's been 11 years. Things haven't gone quite like I wanted them to. Every time I get a break, something happens. I'm telling you how I would probably look at it. But Joseph didn't feel that way. And we're going to see in our text this morning, in chapters 40 and 41, that instead of feeling forsaken and forgotten, Joseph instead saw this as an opportunity to be very faithful with his talents. So take your Bibles, look at Genesis chapter 40. Here we find Joseph in prison, and he's made two new friends. I'm going to read for you several verses. We're going to follow along together. I hope you can see, okay, we're having some difficulty with the house lights this weekend. So just kind of be patient if it's a little dim for you. Just thanks for your understanding spirit. But we're going to read several uh, verses and passages. And we're going to see how Joseph did not feel forsaken or forgotten. He didn't see his locale or his morale as an opportunity to skip town. But instead, he was very faithful with his talents, his abilities. We're going to notice this in both of these chapters in a very obvious way. So here Joseph is in prison with two new friends, the cupbearer and the baker. They used to work for Pharaoh until Pharaoh got mad at them and put them all in prison. So here is the cupbearer and the baker in prison with Joseph. Let's pick it up about the middle of verse 4. Chapter 40. 
And I want you to notice, first of all, one of the talents Joseph had in, these, in, these, in several verses here is this gift of interpreting dreams. That seems to be something given by God to Joseph, and he was very faithful and diligent with it. Okay? Let's just follow the Old Testament text here and follow along with me. Middle of verse 4, chapter 40, the Bible says that after they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, speaking of the cupbearer and the baker, uh, they had uh, dreams the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. But when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So these dreams were upsetting them. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, Hey, why are your, why are your faces so sad today? Verse 8 says that the cupbearer and the baker said, We both had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. Well, it's a perfect timing for Joseph to be who God called him to be and to do what God gave him the ability to do. Look what he says in this next verse. Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. And what's his next phrase? Tell me your dreams. That's odd, isn't it? If they belong to God, why don't I ask God? But Joseph saw the connection between what God had gifted him to do and the need at hand. So he says to them, Hey, God can give interpretations, so ask me. That's something I can do for you. Don't you love that kind of spiritual confidence? I mean, it's, it's a humble confidence. But Joseph doesn't back away from this opportunity. When he could have said, now I'm in prison and, and things haven't gone well. I'm not doing what God asked me to do. It hasn't worked out very well so far. Instead, when the opportunity arose for Joseph to be faithful with the gifts God had given him, even when it was difficult, what did he do? He used them. The two fellow prisoners. Well, the next few verses talk about these different dreams. And I won't read these verse for verse here, but just kind of follow along with them. Maybe um, in kind of paragraph form, the, there's the uh, cupbearer's dream. And, and then, of course, when his turns out being very favorable, because in three days, Joseph said, Pharaoh's going to restore you to your position. Well, the baker in about verse 16 looks and says, well, good night. If Joseph's kind of handing out promotions via dreams, I think I want to be a part of that. So he says, hey, Joseph, here's my dream. And, well, bad news for the baker. Joseph says, listen, in three days, Pharaoh's going to have your head. Look with me now. Um, it says in about verse, 20, about verse 20 that, sure enough, on Pharaoh's birthday, what Joseph had predicted and interpreted actually came true. Pharaoh restored, verse 21, he restored the chief cupbearer to his position, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph has said to them in his interpretation. Man, Joseph was faithful with the talents God gave him, and they actually came true, so he was vindicated, verified. It's like, wow, Joseph really can interpret dreams. But as soon as he had done his job, it's amazing what happened. The cupbearer in verse 23 just forgot about him. The very thing Joseph asked him not to do, he did. And suddenly, two years passes, and guess who's still twiddling his thumbs in prison? Even though he's been faithful, he's still waiting for his break. And that's Joseph. Well, his break's about to come. Two years passes. Pharaoh has a dream. And you can read about these dreams in the first part of chapter 41. Basically, seven weaker things. He has two dreams. And in both dreams, seven weaker things rise up and overcome seven stronger things. Well, it really perplexes Pharaoh... Verse 8 says that in the morning his mind was troubled and he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt, but no one could interpret, interpret his dreams for him. Not a soul. Guess what? 
Here comes Joseph. Verse 9. The chief cupbearer then remembers. He says, hey, listen, there was this young Hebrew about verse 10 or 11. Verse 12. And we had the same thing happen to us. We had dreams. And he told us our dreams. And in fact, verse 13, he says to Pharaoh, the things turned out exactly as he interpreted them. He says, hey, Pharaoh, I know a guy who helped me with my dreams. And I think he's still in prison. In fact, I forgot to mention his name to you. But you ought to get him. His name is Joseph. He might can help you too. So sure enough, verse 14. Pharaoh sent for Joseph. And he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And that gives some insight into what was going on in the prison. Two years plus. He's in this dungeon. Just being faithful to what God has called him to do. When the time arises to use his gifts, he does. Whether it favors him or it's profitable, he just simply does what God's called him to do. He is who God asked him to be. Well, the big break happens. happens. Pharaoh calls on him. Pharaoh says to him in verse 15, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I love this answer. I cannot do it. You see that? After Pharaoh had heard he can do it, his first response is what? Wrong guy. But watch how Joseph actually turns it around to get Pharaoh's eyes on God, which is an incredibly bold and courageous thing. In a, multi, uh, in a culture of like multi-divinities, no doubt, in Egypt, very animistic and very pluralistic. Joseph has the courage to say, hey, I can't do it, but um, Jehovah God can. I mean, maybe, maybe he leaned forward. Maybe he got right in Pharaoh's face a little bit. I mean, this is a very bold and courageous move on Joseph's part. But after all, Joseph interprets dreams. The time has come for Joseph to do what he does best. Regardless of who the audience is, he's going to be faithful. So he says, I cannot do it, which I would have loved to have seen Pharaoh's face at that. But then he quickly follows up. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So then Pharaoh said to Joseph, and he tells him about his dreams. Verse 25. Let's skip down there. Here's Joseph now interpreting the dreams. I explained to you what they were just in brief form. You can read through them on your own. But he says the, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. And he goes right to the source again. He says God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. I love that phrase. He says, God's going to tell you what He's going to do. Hey, Pharaoh, you think you rule a country? This is kind of the implied uh, feelings in this sentence, there's no doubt. You think it's all about you and your kingdom, but God's going to do something here that's really all about Him. So you better listen up. He talks about the seven years of abundance followed by the seven years of famine. Look at verse 32. Joseph gives even more insight into why God gave these dreams. He says, the reason... The dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God. God will do it soon. In other words, he said, Pharaoh, if you're wondering why God gave it to you twice, it's so you won't try to negotiate or strike a bargain. Because I imagine Pharaoh thought, well, my goodness, if I've got seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine, and the famine's going to be greater than the abundance to eat up all the... The, the prophets, maybe this God of yours will strike a deal with me. Perhaps he's into negotiating. And Joseph says, listen, it came in two forms for one reason. God's mind is made up and it's going to happen and it's going to happen soon. In other words, God means business. I think it's kind of like when your mom calls you by your two names. Amen? I mean, you know, Adam may not be enough. I don't know your middle or first name. But when mama calls you by both, you know, no negotiating, <laughs> no deal brokering, right? She means business. Guess what? God said to Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, I'm giving you two dreams, one meaning because I mean business. 
And so Pharaoh was able to hear that and understand that through Joseph. Aren't you glad? And I think the Israelites who were back in Canaan and were gradually finding a, their, their race withering away as the famine came, aren't, I bet they were glad too that, that Joseph was faithful to exercise his gift and talents. Because if Joseph had refused, he'd have said, Hey, I don't tell some foreign king what, what dreams you're having. I don't get into talking to these Egyptian people. I'm, I'm in prison. You guys falsely accuse me. You know, I'm going to get you back. What if all that would have taken place, which is kind of like what I would have probably done, then there would have been no um, uh, measures taken up front for the famine. There would have been no way to rescue, not just the Egyptians, but the rest of the known world, including the Israelites who were in Canaan. All of that hinged upon Joseph being faithful to be who and what God made him to be. A dream interpreter. So I want to say to you, in in these first few verses, Joseph was faithful to use his gift of interpretation. Regardless of locale or morale, prison or palace, Joseph did what he was good at doing. But let's look further. I think Joseph had another gift too. I think in addition to being able to interpret dreams, I think Joseph had a unique ability to to administer uh, events and people and things for the good of those around him. We call this like the gift of administration. Look at the next few verses. Let's start about verse 33. And I love what Joseph does here because he no sooner interprets the dreams that he goes right for the jugular. And he says, hey, listen, Pharaoh. It's kind of like he thought, well, the guy's down. I'll go ahead and just give him the solution while he's down there. Kind of take him all at one fell swoop, right? He says, Pharaoh, it's going to get bad around here, but here's a solution. And Joseph begins in verse 33 and all the way through the rest of, of, of chapter 41, administrating some very practical solutions. He talks about how they should store up food in the first seven years. How they should take uh, 20% of the harvest during the good years. And where they should store it and how it should be used as a reserve. And when, when Pharaoh hears all this, he says, Joseph, man, you are a wise and discerning individual. And he puts Joseph in charge of the whole palace. You can see that in about verse 39, verse 38 in that area. Look at verse 40. You shall be in charge of my palace. Now think about that, church. Let your minds hear that. Let your hands kind of grasp this. This is the same guy who at 17 was just trying to crawl himself out of a pit. Do you remember? The same guy who was saying, Hey, brothers, while you're eating your meal, they're laughing, they're ridiculing their their multicolored coat friend, Joseph, the guy that apparently was in charge, but now we've got him in a pit and we're going to kill him. Maybe we'll sell him. We'll see. But they're eating a meal, and the Bible says that Joseph is, is pleading for his life. Now we find Joseph out of the pit and out of prison and being installed as vice president of Egypt. You know why? Listen very carefully. This is not complicated. It's not difficult. I'm going to tell you exactly why. When you read the text, you notice that when Joseph was faithful to just do what God had given him the ability to do, that was fruitful. It's not genius science here. When he simply interpreted dreams and administered things for the good of others, God had a way of taking that faithfulness and making it very fruitful. Well, verses 41 through 57 of Genesis 40 tell us more about Joseph's administrative gifts. By the way, verse 46 tells us he was 30 years old 
when he became vice president of Egypt. Who in here is 30? Raise your hand. Wow, that's good. You know, what if suddenly today you went home and got a call from President George W. He said, Tommy, you're vice president starting at 6 o'clock tonight. That'd be a load of information, wouldn't it? And suddenly he said to you, and by the way, we've got some rough years coming up. And I need you to handle make sure the whole country gets enough to eat. Yeah, I'd be a doubt on my end probably. I'd be like, well, I'm not ready for this, man. I mean, what, a, what an amazing amount of responsibility is suddenly thrust on Joseph. And you see in these chapters, in these verses, that Joseph was very faithful at using his gift of interpretation and also his gift of administration to make sure the people were taken care of. It shows me something, that faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. Now, listen very carefully. Listen very carefully. I by no means am equating Joseph's gifts that I believe were given by God, and I think textually we can make a strong case that these were definitely God-endowed abilities. I'm not making, though, the case that his gifts are equal to spiritual gifts of today. That's not what I'm saying. So if you think I'm going there, just relax. Okay? It's the Old Testament, and it was a different mode of operation in some ways. However, I do think there are some principles here that we can learn about God and how He operates. And one of those is this. Listen very carefully. God highly esteems faithfulness to what He's given us. Are you with me? Now, was Joseph endowed with the ability to interpret dreams and administrate things and people for the good of others? I believe so. Just like today, in the New Testament culture, God, through His Spirit, gifts some people with supernatural abilities. They're just Holy Spirit-endowed uh, uh, giftings that are hard to explain, but when they operate within them, it's like amazing what happens. It's the same principle is that when we are faithful to do what God has gifted us to do, then His character is that He kind of like makes that very fruitful. Because God really highly esteems faithfulness. I'm going to say that again. I don't want you to miss it. I'm not a complicated pastor. I don't try to be deep in a way that you feel stuck in the mud. I want to be very clear that Joseph's life in these, in these chapters shows me God highly esteems faithfulness. Just being very reliable with your talents. In fact, let me show you this chart again. Remember that chart you drew out at the very beginning? I want you to have that handy because I want you to kind of add to it. He reported the truth as a 17-year-old kid. He was a man of integrity, even at 17. He was sold to slavery. He managed a household for a man named Potiphar. Very trying, but he remained under those tests. When false accusations came, because he resisted, resisted temptation, he still was faithful, dependable. And even in prison, when he could have said, well, hey, I'm through with all of this. It didn't pan out very well. Instead, Joseph was reliable with his talents. And watch this, guys. At the young age of 30, God began to increase the arenas where Joseph, uh, in which Joseph was responsible. He enlarged his territory, so to speak. I think Joseph is actually a good picture of the prayer of Jabez even earlier. As he was faithful, as he endured, as he remained under, as he simply was reliable, God just enlarged the things for which he was responsible. Because Joseph was the kind of person that God could count on. See, Joseph trusted God, and God trusted Joseph. Can I say something to you? I don't want to be difficult about this, but that's the way God works. 
I mean, there are times in the, church, in the life of a church that you need to make sure you understand how God operates so that we can get in line with Him. Amen on that one. We don't ask God to get in line with us. Amen. We see how God operates and how His character is so we get in line with it. Listen very carefully, church. God honors and highly esteems faithfulness. And in the Christian life, it's the turtle who consistently, diligently, is faithful and reliable that usually wins the race. Not the firecracker, flash pan, rabbit kind of person. Are you with me? You know why? Because in the character of God, He highly esteems faithfulness. Now, if you think I'm just making this up or like extracting this from Genesis 40 and 41 to kind of prove a point, I want to make sure you know I'm not doing that to you. Let me give you some other verses to kind of show this is really God's character. This is how He operates. One of the best ones is Matthew 25. And just jot the Scripture down. Matthew 25. I'm not going to have you turn there. This is the parable of the talents. Do you recall that God gave to these people ten talents and He gave to someone else five and to someone else one, that kind of thing. Remember that? Five, two, and one. Or another one, He gave ten. But the point was, He gave these talents to these, to these individuals. And He said, multiply them. When I come back, I'll collect. Well, guess what? All of them made good use of their talents. And God said to them, Hey, you've been faithful with a few things. I will make you faithful or ruler over many things. Remember that principle? That's what happened. Now watch this, guys. That's exactly what's happening here in Joseph's life. Because Joseph was faithful with a little bit of stuff. God knew he could trust him with larger stuff. It's this concept, this principle of faithfulness. God honors it. Now, let me, let me make sure you understand something about Matthew 25. In this parable, and listen, don't turn your brains off. I want you to catch me on this one. Okay, listen very carefully. In this parable, he's not talking about gifts and talents as in like playing the drums or, or uh, you know, some other thing that we do. The talent there is a financial investment. And it shows us that when God puts an investment in someone, he expects a return. That's just the nature of God. Where he invests, listen very carefully, church, listen very carefully. Where he invests, there is always a return. Where the seed is planted, there is always fruit. It is not in the nature of God or His kingdom economy to plant and not reap. That's not God. So folks that say, hey, yeah, God put a seed in me, but man, nothing's ever happened to it in 30 years. The problem is not with God. The problem is you never got the seed. Are you with me? And we have some very conservative theology on that at our church. And that's just the way we believe about it. The Bible teaches very clearly that if you have the seed, you will bear the fruit. So in this parable, he's talking about how if God gives you something, he expects a return. Now watch this, guys. That shows me something about God. That God expects me to use what he's given me. Amen? So if I'm sitting around thinking, oh, no, 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 I'm going to use this and I'm going to do that. I'm not really modeling God's plan for my life or really showing forth His character because God wants me to use what He's given me. That's in His character. And when I do, and when I show faithfulness and diligence and reliability in that, God then in turn honors me back, so to speak. And it oftentimes increases that area of responsibility. He rewards faithfulness. Here's two other verses that really strike me to show you the, the value God places on faithfulness. This next verse is 1 Corinthians 4. It's about verses 1 and 2. It's a great verse. It says this. Listen very carefully. It says that if you've been given a trust, it is first and foremost required that you be found, and say the word with me, faithful. 
Hey guys, now that verse is written primarily to pastors. And I realize that. That's a context there to those who uh, are responsible to make sure the message of the gospel is safely delivered to the next generation. I understand that. And so I want to say to you that the, the non-negotiable trait that's got to be found in pastors is not an eloquence or charisma, but faithfulness. But I'd say to you that applicationally, the same thing true, uh, holds true for us. As we as a church guard the sound doctrine, as we pass on the Word of God to the next generation, as we safely row the message of the gospel to the shore, so to speak, of the next group, we must above all else be faithful. In other words, reliable. That when it's in our care, Dennis, we can't just change a few words here and there. We can't just change a few facts. Well, you know, Jesus was kind of like God. Well, we can't do that. He was God in the flesh. 100% deity. Are you with me? That's our job. We must be faithful to the text. Faithful to the Word. That's our job. That's how highly God esteems faithfulness. It's the non-negotiable trait of those who are called to preach it. Look at this next verse. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, he says that he thanks God that when he called into ministry, he counted him faithful. Even Paul placed faithfulness way up here. 1 Timothy 1. Here's the point, guys. In Joseph's life, in the character of God, in the New Testament writings, we see a common pattern. God highly esteems faithfulness. And so I call you today and I ask you, are you being faithful, diligent, and reliable with what God has entrusted to you? Responsible, ethical, faithful. And we could be talking about gifts that He's given us that we use, personalities, abilities, and talents. It could be about possessions. It could be about our children, our marriage and relationship, our spouse. It could be our job. Whatever God has entrusted to you, we should use that in a responsible, faithful, reliable way. Because you know why? As God sees that, He will honor our faithfulness. And those that quit, turn back, feel like it just got a little tough, a little rough. I'm out of it now. Morale's low, so count me, I'm, I'm not part of the team. Or location's bad. Those kinds of people, they, they look pretty cool at the beginning. But when all said and done, that's not faithfulness. The New Testament is filled with people that Paul wrote about who fell short, so to speak, who turned back. They didn't exemplify faithfulness. I'm here to stress to you this morning that faithfulness matters a bunch. How's that for a kind of preachery word? Bunch. I mean, faithfulness just climbs the ladder of character qualities and it stands out in the life of Joseph. Joseph, even when things were difficult, was simply faithful and reliable to be who God made him to be and do what God called him to do. In fact, I like what Charles Spurgeon said. I quote here. He says, The repetition of small efforts will accomplish more than the occasional use of great talents. Isn't that good? The Prince of Preachers knew it well, didn't he? The repetition of small efforts, being faithful, 
will accomplish more than the occasional use of great talents. As I thought about that this week, and for the past several weeks, about Joseph's ability to be very liable, very reliable and faithful with his talents, I, 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 I was thought about three questions that came to my mind. Three things that I want to apply here for a few moments and maybe help us put some, some hands around this whole concept, these two chapters that seem kind of long. And they're going to sting a little bit, okay? They're probably going to step on a few toes. But it's very important that we take this, this principle, this character trait about God, this, this concept that He's calling us to, and, and wrap our hands around it. So we can live the next seven days in a very faithful, reliable way. Amen? So let me ask you some questions. Kind of make some statements to you, and then we'll be, we'll be done. When you think about how God has made you, what He's given you, how He's gifted you, let me ask you a question. Are you willing... To be faithful with your gifts and talents, even when it's uncomfortable. I draw that application from Genesis 40, verse... Uh, let's look at verse 3. Are you there in your Bibles? Genesis 40, verse 3. One word is the word confined. I love that word. Do you see it there in your Bibles? It says that Joseph was confined. It means restricted. It means uh, held in bondage. Now, if you're wondering what it was like for Joseph in prison, may I have you do a simple exercise here. Turn over to Psalm 105 real quickly. Just go right for a few chapters, a few books, and look at Psalm 105. And there you're going to see a very good description of what life was like in prison for Joseph. It's Psalm 105, about verses 16, 17, 18, and 19. I'll just pull part of those verses out. But look what the Bible says here. It says that when he was in prison... Look at this last part of the verse. They bruised his feet with shackles. Speaking here of Joseph. His neck was put in irons. So if you're thinking that Joseph was just simply hanging around the house with like a little ankle bracelet beeping when he went out of the certain parameters, the psalmist here, 105, says, no, Joseph had bruises from shackles that were too tight. His neck was in irons. Joseph was no doubt restricted and confined. He was very uncomfortable. And yet, Perhaps with his neck in irons and his feet and uh, his ankles and his wrist and, and stocks and then he's just like, like like this, you know. I imagine when he saw the cupbearer in the baker, he's like, Hey guys, you look pretty depressed today. What's up? They're like, Man, Joseph, we had terrible dreams. He's like, Well, hey, come over here, I'll help you with your dreams. I'd have said something like, Hey, if you got the key to the neck brace, use that first, and then I'll tell you the dream. But instead, he was faithful to simply do what God had given him to do, even when it was uncomfortable. He was confined and restricted. I'm amazed how often I stop doing what God really gives me to do when the least little bit of pain comes along. I don't know if you're that way. Sometimes when the schedules get a little weird or, or things don't go like I hope, I'm like, well, I just won't do it then. And then this week I've been reminded that's not how Joseph was. He was faithful even when it was uncomfortable. A few weeks ago, my wife really lived this out right in front of my eyes. Um, we were having trouble finding someone to operate the PowerPoint one week, and Deb was headed off on vacation for a few days. And so the last stop was call a pastor's wife, you know. And my wife hates the limelight. I mean, she totally, dis she's hating this right now, I'm telling you. She just doesn't like any tension drawn to her. So she says, I'm going to do it, but listen, just make sure the songs are right, because if the words aren't right, and then things don't line up well. They all look back there at the computer. They're like, what's wrong with the computer operator? You know? And she goes, even if it's not us, I just feel really weird. And I said, honey, I will double check it 1,400 times for you. And Marty was visiting us week, that week as well. And I said, Marty, 
you've got to make sure the lyrics are right. You know, you got to make sure that everything matches up. And so it was, it was all lined up. And everything goes fine. And she's back there in the right part of the building in the corner. And she's just mashing page down, page down, you know. And she's just going along. She's like, great, nothing's happening. They come to the end of the message. Remember this a few weeks ago? And there were some verses we were going to read together. Well, they weren't in there. So I had done all, I mean, I had made sure everybody had their P's and Q's together except for good old me. She's back there, but at the time, I was sure I put those verses in there. So leave it to me, and my, you know, I've got not a lot of sense up here sometimes. I drew attention to it. You remember? I'm like, oh, uh, they're not up there. And so I said, I'm sure they're in there. Hello, idiot. That's what I'm thinking to myself, right? And she's back there like, oh, I can't believe he's doing this. You know, they're not in there. Truth is, I had forgotten to place them in there, even though I'm sure I did. And so... We end the service, and I'm like, oh, it must be a long walk back to the auditorium, you know. I'm thinking, I do not want to go back there, you know. What's so cool is to go back there, and I said, uh, uh, they weren't in there. She goes, they're not in here. And I was ready for like, and by the way, you know, one of those deals. But she said, hey, don't worry about it. She was very gracious with the whole thing, even though I knew she was very uncomfortable. And I crossed like a, a line, I'm sure, with like drawing attention to it. The whole thing really worked out great. We added the verses in, and. She had a wonderful spirit about it, and I was actually able to recover pretty well, uh, fortunately, you know. Here's what I'm saying. I went home that week thinking, man, that was something very hard for my wife to do. And it actually went worse than what she had planned, thanks to me. So it was very uncomfortable. Now, I'm not, I might not can relate to that, because I like being in front of people. I like a crowd. But imagine if maybe she said, could you cook meals for a week? I'd be like, wait, 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 wait a minute. I'm very uncomfortable suddenly, you know. I mean, there's probably a lot of ways I can relate to that. And yet, when she was called upon, even in a place of really like, this is not where I belong. I feel really uncomfortable. The need demanded that, that she just kind of feel a lot, and she did. I learned a lot from that. That oftentimes, even when it's uncomfortable, God is calling us to serve. We learn things through those kind of times. So let me ask you a question. Where right now is it uncomfortable for you? And do you want to run? Get away and say, I don't want to, I don't want to serve there. You know that God often calls us to be reliable even when it's uncomfortable. Some of you think that because you served in the four-year-old class last week. I realized that. You think you were confined with the four-year-olds, right? Or that you led the junior high boys small group. Hey man, trust me, I was uncomfortable, right? Listen, I'm talking about something far bigger than location. I'm talking about how God stretches us past our own unique human abilities and says, let me use you even when you're not sure you can. Let me show my strength in your weakness. Now, as a way to kind of make this very, very practical, I want to give you a handout. Because I want to show you all this handout will show you all the teams of First Family. Because I want to do something. I want to put a, 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 a burr in your foot. And that's even appropriate. I want to... I want to make you a little uncomfortable right here right now. I want to kind of cause you to think twice about what you're doing. Because some of you are loving these padded seats right now. You're like, Todd, thank you for getting the chairs in. We're loving it. This is much better. What you're getting is a list of all the teams at First Family. Who leads them and where we have the needs of leadership. And I want to ask you a question while you're getting this and while you're looking at it. If you have extra, just leave them on the side of the, of the row. It's fine. If we have extras. It'll be no problem. But as you look at that, let me ask you a question. Where are you using your gifts and talents. They're making their way back to the back and they'll hand you some. Where are you using your gifts and talents? 
You're going to read some things on there. You're going to see some opportunities. You're going to see some different places like, whoa, I would not, I could never serve there. I don't want to do that. That looks hard. That looks difficult. But what if God is bringing you out of the corners and out of the shadows and calling you to serve in an area at First Family Church? Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be uncomfortable, Todd. Well, maybe sometimes my role is to bring you to a certain level of discomfort to where your life has a, maybe a, a little more impact. And maybe you're brought face to face with some different realities. And maybe then you start realizing, wow, you know, there's, there's more to, to the community of church than just a 1030 service on Sunday mornings. Amen. So look that over, okay? Find out maybe where God has, has gifted you, what you could do. Keep that with you. Pray about it. And don't let discomfort keep you away from serving. Amen? Now, don't read that the rest of the message. Work with me, guys. Okay? It's kind of for a future reference here. But as you read that, you're going to find you'll be uncomfortable. Don't let that stop you. Amen? Here's another question I have for you. Am I willing to be unpopular with my talents? I love the fact that in this story about Joseph, another application we can make, is Joseph was the same regardless of who he told an interpretation to. Whether it was Pharaoh, the cupbearer, or the baker. You don't find Joseph mincing words or playing politics, do you? Or trying to buddy up with a guy that's got good news and then trying to, you know, console the guy with bad news. You just find Joseph being very consistent. He kind of spits out the information in a way that's, you know, it's not really about him. It's the interpretation. But I imagine there was some real unpopularity going on in Joseph's life. Hey, you hear the news? This new guy named Joseph was in prison. He just told Pharaoh, man, we got seven years of famine coming. Man, I hear he's in really big trouble. And you didn't want to cross Pharaoh, you know. He had a way of taking you out sometimes. I imagine the cupbearer and the baker had their disagreements as Joseph relayed totally different meanings. One good, one bad. You see, but all of these interpretations, Joseph was faithful to use them even when he was unpopular. And I want to say to you, very, just real plainly, First family needs to continue to be the kind of truth-telling, honest place where people can have their questions answered without perhaps it always becoming very personal or very attacking. Amen? I mean, the truth speaks for itself. Amen? And that's what we should present. We don't need to be offensive as people, but the cross will be offensive. I have no doubt about that. And from that, we don't need to run away from that. Or pretending it's not really true, we should stand very tall and, and humbly in a, in a humble way, proud of the gospel. That's why next uh, this coming summer, I want to encourage you. Listen very carefully. I want to encourage you. Um, you can expect some kickback from our series this summer. Maybe perhaps in our community, uh, it's not on purpose or by design, but as we spend some weeks exposing the New Age movement and exposing heresy. Um, in our efforts to protect the gospel and advance the true gospel. And there are false gospels out there. As we work through Galatians, you're going to probably get some kickback. Don't waver, First Family. Amen? Don't flinch. Just smile and let your backbone have God's spirit of steel in it. And just be bold. Now, I suspect we'll have some friends from down the road or across the street who will hear that the gospel is a gospel of grace. That only the blood of Christ forgives sin. And they'll think, well, I've always thought you could be good enough. I thought that's how you got to heaven. I thought it was a matter of me doing this. Or I thought I, if I got baptized when I was really little, perhaps that would work. And, 
And we're just going to lay out from the Bible, through the whole book of Galatians, the, the exclusivity of the gospel. And those who are really buying into this new DV called The Secret, you've probably heard of it, will expose that. It's nothing more than New Age trash. Makes people think they're really God and they had this great power within them. They don't. All that is is them opening themselves up to the demonic world. And then the, the devil's principalities and powers and his whole rule of darkness intervenes. And things happen. You think, man, this law of attraction is working for me. And the truth is you're becoming more and more slave to sin. Less free to the gospel of grace. This is the kind of thing going on all around us. The New Age movement is extremely deceitful. There are several churches and people, I'm sure, who are unknowingly buying into a, to a gospel that's not even full of grace. And it's our desire as we teach the Galatians to take a strong stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll tell you something. Be thankful. That's the kind of church... That's going on here because, you know, a lot of guys are going really gung-ho about things that don't matter as much. Are you with me? They get all hyped up about preference issues. They're getting all kicked in about things that probably aren't as important. And that's just not going to happen at First Family. Certain style issues and dress and music and things with you, your family choices, guess what? Those are your family's choices. Hallelujah. They're not my business. And truth is, maybe mine aren't your business either. Amen? Are you with me? Our job as a church is to focus on what matters most. The doctrine is revealed in the Scriptures and to protect the Gospel. And when that's attacked, when we see the demonic side attacking the Gospel of grace, that's when a church ought to kick in and say, wait, 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 you can't mess with the Gospel, man. And I'm amazed at how many churches get all excited about minor things. But when the Gospel's attacked, when the Gospel of grace, when the truth of God is diminished and thwarted and, and twisted, we act like, well, you know, there's just a little room for everybody to be who they need to be. There's not any room at all. You can't twist the truth. You can't change the gospel. And we ought to stand up and be very vocal. Even when it's unpopular, we should do what God's called us to do. And this summer, I'm just telling you, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it. Have your Bibles, your pens, and, and your backbone ready. You may even find that, that you'll learn a lot about the gospel, how God saves people, and how we become sons of the promise, and how the freedom Christ has given us causes us to a whole lifestyle of service. Who knows? Maybe somebody here. We'll hear the gospel, the true gospel for the first time. And finally, be saved. Wouldn't that be awesome? I've been praying for months that God would do exactly that. Would bring us to a place of repentance. It may not be popular. It may not be culturally acceptable. But who cares what the culture says? Let's preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season, Paul said. That's just being faithful. And as we do that, God will honor that. That's another reason that we're, uh, not this year, but next fall of 08, as long as you may know this name, we're inviting, and we, he's actually accepted um, the invitation, Ergen Kaner is coming here to speak for us in the fall of 08. Now, you may say, well, who is Ergen Kaner? He's a former Muslim, and uh, is disowned by his father and making him a Christian. He's now the president of Liberty Baptist Seminary. He's probably the current day Josh McDowell in apologetics. Uh, most of the networks and the TV talk shows, when they need to get someone for the far right, as they call us, you know, on the religious side, they get Ergen Kainer. And he speaks, and he's always on these news shows. He accepted our invitation to come and kick off our series in Hebrews in 08. And uh, he will show us why Jesus Christ is our best bet. And the falseness and the, and the ridiculousness of all the other religions. And he'll just say, here's what the Bible says. This is the gospel. Let's just believe it. And he'll really bring a great light to 
to the different cults out there. And as we march through Hebrews, we'll learn exactly what he'll tell us. Uh, and I'll teach you that through week, week by week. But here's why we do that. Because we believe this matters. And God has called us as a church to be faithful to that even in times of unpopularity. So if you've been checking out First Family, welcome aboard. We've all got a war and we're rowing as hard as we can. Not on things that don't matter. But we're rowing toward the shore of delivering this message safely and securely to the next generation. That's why you're long-winded, huh, Todd? Yeah, you got it. That's why you make us bring our Bibles. Yeah, you got it. You told us to mark it, we read it, we study it. Exactly. We don't make announcements a lot in church. We've got to read the bulletin, guys. That's why, that's why we print it. You know what I'm saying? Just read it. But when we gather together, we've got one primary objective. Make this book just really come alive and let's do all we can to protect it and teach it. That's what we do here. Even in times of unpopularity. Last question. Are you willing to be faithful with your gifts and how God's made you? even when it uh, calls upon you to be unselfish. You know, as I read through these chapters, one thing that strikes me really interesting is the number of times that Joseph's gift resulted in the benefit of other people. Let me give you an example. It started off with perhaps those initial uh, people in his circle of influence, you know. They were aware the family was coming, so he saved those initial people and made provisions. And then it, he saved his ten brothers that he saved all of Egypt. In fact, as you read through the rest of the chapters of Genesis, you'll find that Joseph's uh, faithfulness to be a good administrator, they saved the known world because the famine spread way out of Egypt all the way to the known world. And Joseph was instrumental in saving the lives of many people. You never read once where Joseph tried to get back at Potiphar or haul his ten brothers in and, and say, well, I'll give you some food, but you're last in line. We don't, we, don't, we don't read anything in here about Joseph's vindictiveness, but we read a ton about his unselfishness. And I want to say to you, that's the faithfulness God's looking for. That even when perhaps God's gifts to me require that other people benefit before me, I'm okay with that. That's the attitude of a servant. And that's the kind of faithfulness God notices. Being faithful even when it calls upon you to be unselfish. And by the way, if you're wondering, that's the one thing none of us have a bent towards. Every man in the room can say amen to that, right? Unselfishness is exactly the way we're not made. We're all made to pursue our own way. And so it takes a work of the Spirit to make us unselfish. But when we do, we begin to model the life of Joseph. We begin to serve and be faithful the way God's called us to be. So, some questions for you. Will you serve this week even when it's uncomfortable. Will you? Will you serve this week and be faithful even when perhaps it's unpopular? Will you? Will you serve this week and be faithful even perhaps if it calls upon you to be unselfish? Will you? If you will this week, let me show you something as we close. You'll not only model Joseph's lifestyle, which is one of faithfulness and trust, you'll not only garner God's attention in a greater way, as you're reliable with your talents. But watch this. You'll be modeling what Jesus did. For all three of these things are things that Jesus Christ did. Amen? Was He uh, uncomfortable? Let's just say the word cross. Amen? I think He was uncomfortable. But He served anyway. The Via Della Rosa. The long walk to Calvary. Was he uh, unpopular? Yes. John 1.12 says he came into his own 
and his own rejected him. The very people he came to said, Hey, we don't like what you're saying. We're going to kill you. That's pretty unpopular. Was he unselfish? He was the epitome of unselfishness. The Bible says he actually laid down his life for us. And greater love no man has than that. So if you're debating whether or not you really want to live this way, I call upon you to not just live like Joseph or the New Testament writers, but to model lifestyle of our Savior, Jesus, who served and was faithful even when it was uncomfortable, unpopular, and when it called upon Him to be unselfish. And if we fill up Ankeny and Altoona and Bondurant and West Des Moines and Clive and Des Moines, if we fill up all those places with faithful, reliable Christians, even when it's unpopular, uncomfortable, and calls upon us to be unselfish, if we do that, the world might finally take notice. There's a people of God in our midst. There's a man in whom the Spirit of God is found. I said that about Joseph. Remember Genesis 40? There's a woman who the Spirit of God has seen. They'll start noticing, hey, there's something different. That's what we're after. Would you this week serve and be reliable in that way? I trust you will. Let's all aim for that goal this week. Let's pray.